Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the Amazon Alexa. For today's podcast, we're joined by the CEO and COO of the award-winning craft ready-to-drink company, Ace and Freak. So we have with us today Tom Sodden. Tom, thank you much for being with us. Thank you very much for having us, Jonathan. Um, and we also have Chris Davis, the COO. Chris, thank you very much for, for being with us. Likewise. Good morning. So we're, we're speaking together um, today um, primarily because you're currently on Cedars um, undertaking a £250,000 um, raise to fund further growth for mm-hmm. Ace and, and Freak. Now, this is something that we're going to be doing on a regular basis in, in 2021, and we've been discussing numerous companies through 2020. And we'll get into the finer details of the crowdfunding um, pitch and uh, details of that a bit later on. Um, but to get started, can we have a bit of background on Ace and, and Freak and where where you are at the moment in, in your life cycle? Yeah, absolutely. So Ace and Freak really came around um, from a gap I saw in the market. I was uh, a consultant for some some of the world's biggest drinks agencies and doing a lot of trend forecasting, etc. And I I saw this gap in the market really based upon global F&B macro trends uh, of convenience, um, quality and conscientiousness and, and the, the product fitted in quite well. We initially launched the product in 2018 and did various uh, rounds of uh, market testing um, to, to develop the product to where it is now. And uh, we've kind of grown it steadily. We were due to launch nationwide in 2020 and then coronavirus happened. So we kind of scaled back and and uh, you know really really refined the business as such and got to a really good place now and now preparing ourselves to scale in a in a new covid friendly format fantastic so you know ace and freak um started in in 2017 i mean you've mentioned covid there and you know of, of course and uh, so looking at um, the the crowdfunding pages, there's a focus on, on events. I mean, we're, we're going to be looking forward, of course, um, past COVID. But, j- but just before um, we, we do that, would you be able to just give some sort of perspective of how different uh, the, you know, 2020 was compared to, to your expectations of 2020 going into it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a very unique sales strategy where we seed the product uh, alongside relevant brands uh, or events so that we can introduce consumers to it you know the the to you know to to showcase the brand value to a consumer by being placed around you know a beats headphones event with a with a famous artist it gives the impression of, of quality because of that association Moving into 2020, we were due to be in 40 music festivals, you know, and we have probably had a, in excess of around 100,000 units pre-sold through that. As we then walked in, as we then moved into 2020, naturally all of that changed. And what we ended up doing was we, we pivoted 
quite quite substantially. Naturally, we didn't have that low-hanging fruit from the music festivals, but what we found was a lot of our partners from the world of music festivals and with regards to brand partners, they continued to run events. So we were working with some of our festival partners doing street food markets. Uh, we were working with people like Secret Cinema for their drive-through events. So actually what we generally found was that and this is one of the benefits of having a ready-to-drink product. All you need is a bucket of ice. You don't need a bar. You don't need skilled staff. Um, so it's, it's feasible to take it anywhere. So what we found was, although the terrain had changed slightly, the direction was still the same. Fantastic. So th- that's obviously a good overview of, of the wider market. But can we just drill down now into the specifics of, of the ready-to-drink um, product and, and particularly the the Ace and, and Freak products and, and what sort of sets you apart from um, the, the existing options on the markets? Mm. Yeah, so I mean, the, the easiest way to look at our product is the, the ready-to-drink category is led by the likes of WKD, Smirnoff Ice, Bacardi Breezy. You know, it typically had its heyday in the 1990s. What we are now starting to see and what we are moving in the direction on what we plan to lead is the craft segmentation of this category. So just in the same way that we saw regular lager turn into craft beer, we are taking those same principles. So elements of provenance, uh, transparency on the ingredients that we use, a higher quality of the ingredients we use, and a much better flavor profile. Couple that with quite disruptive branding, and you have very similar characteristics that have proven growth in craft beer, tonic water, with the likes of fever tree, etc., and in coffee. Okay, so you you've um, I've got to hear you you've won some uh, some awards mm. um, for, for your cocktail drinks. What what sort of flavors can uh, uh, consumers expect from you? Sure. So we are different to a lot of the current products available. The majority of ready-to-drink cocktails mimic uh, regular bar cocktails, and we've moved away from that quite quite specifically because we want to disassociate a direct um, visual representation of that product because it will always come second best. So there's never the perceived value if you have a mojito in a can or a mojito in a glass. The glass is always going to be better. So each of our flavors, which is mint and elderflower spritz, ginger and lemongrass, mule and watermelon, cucumber, sangria, are designed around the key flavors which influence a consumer's decision-making strategy. So in the past, we've probably, I've probably written over 300 different cocktail menus and analyzed the data from those. And by understanding what drinks are repeatedly being purchased, then cross-analyzing those recipes alongside recipes from other bars, you then get a good picture of what these key flavors are. And that's kind of what our flavors are based around. Okay, okay. So I just want to look forward now to the next year, and in particular, your your revenue generation strategies because of course we're you know we're, we're in the midst of a lockdown at the moment so of course uh, events are off but that that may change i mean what what are you your plans um you know on, on raising funds you know once you raise the funds to really drive forward 
revenue growth um, and, and how do you think that that could change um, as we go through the year given the uncertainty around COVID-19? Mm. Well I think this is one of the the benefits of, of being a smaller agile company you know in terms of our product development we can develop a product between four to six weeks in a turnaround time most businesses are looking at 12 to 18 months and you know in terms of the sales channels we've got a very diverse um range you know in the past 18 months prior to prior to covid hitting we did a lot of analysis in different sales channels to ascertain rate of sale um, monitoring monitoring how well the product did very closely. So our key focus for this year is is localized sales and localized through convenience. This is a great product for a spontaneous purchase, and we have an owned route to market that specifically targets convenience. We will be doing a major push into to our direct to consumer uh, element, which is which really really took off during. Um, during COVID, and that is able to service Europe-wide. And another unique opportunity that we have is export. And we're actually currently in discussions with five different export markets, USA, Japan, Singapore, um, and, and we've just secured Nigeria as well. Um, and all of these provide excellent opportunities, both for D2C in these local areas, to for events in these local areas, and for, especially in some of the hotter countries, for, for outdoor drinking occasions. Okay, so I, mean, I think it's a very interesting point for, for investors. You mentioned they're looking at, uh, you know, exports. Mm. Um, we, we've just had um, the, the Brexit trade agreement um, pushed through. I mean, how, how are you finding the landscape at the moment? In terms of export? Exports, yeah. yeah. Export I, th- I, think, I think what's quite interesting is that when you look at the you know, the kind of global trends around F&B, you know, the UK is still highly influential, especially when it comes to drinks. You know, we're market leaders in, 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 a, in a wealth of different areas. You know, Diageo, the world's largest alcohol company, is a British company, we've, we, you know, London Dry Gin, Scotch, etc. So there is a desire for UK brands and UK products. So th- there is definitely an appetite for it. We also in the UK have the most advanced uh, cocktail industry, you know, in terms of the, the quality of the bars that we have in here in the UK, it's at the highest level. So that has created this ecosystem of, of quite cutthroat competition, which is what has forged us. So that when we then move into other markets, I mean, a great example, we talk about being award-winning. We recently entered um, a competition called the, the Can Challenge, which is based over in the U.S., five different countries over 60 competitors and we were named best in class you know first time we went over to america and and we won so what we generally tend to find is that you know this the environment that which we have grown which is the most cutthroat when we then move outside of this we have this unfair advantage against the competition fantastic just to add to that from my side yeah, just yeah, just to add to that from my side. So going going back slightly to the the event question, I think <clears throat> the events are obviously were a large part of our, our our sales in the past sort of year or previous to prior to COVID, and that was kind of out of uh, two things: the network we had within you know the music and, and festival world, and, and secondly, where we wanted to see our product. Now, 
that as a channel is one channel. It would just happened to be our where we were pushing our pushing our time and effort to to focus on and, and it was doing well. So then COVID hit, um, and obviously we had to change, and that was look at several other channels and how we could how we could access those and, and start to win a couple of those areas. So I think given the situation we were in, events was very important um, and will continue to be important as it as it comes back. Touch wood. Um, but I think our, our ability as a product, if we strip it back to its basics, is we're, you know, we're a highly adaptable product that can be drunk absolutely anywhere. And for any occasion, you can be at you know, a restaurant, in a, in a bar, in a field, on a train, on a boat, wherever you want to be. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a product that we're able to consume, you know, as, as better ingredients, flavors, combinations, product, you know, methods of production improve. And the ways to increase that reach and accessibility to that product, you know, this this the channels are sort of endless, and and, and where we can place it and what we can do, um, there really is no limit. Um, and just I think sorry, just touching on uh, exports as yeah, you know, you know, the UK itself is a vast market. It is a you know, as Tom was saying, it's you know, you could say we're the home of alcohol, at least some you know, very established brands in that market, um, but. You know, there, there, there's a lot of value in the UK for the RTD market. I think it's expected to be about 700 million um, a market size within the next sort of five years, and that that so that that itself is you know prime to sort of for picking for those brands that are willing to meet the consumer needs, and it's around nine flavors, but you know, brands and, and sort of our ethical standpoint, our conscience, and and that's one of the benefits as a startup and where we're at now. And, and kind of where society is, we understand the importance of having those sustainable, ethical, uh-huh. cultural, sort of cultural in, ingrained into what we're doing. Um, so I think it's, in terms of the UK as a market itself to, to, uh, to, to, to begin with, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of opportunity and those brands that position themselves to meet the needs of the consumer will, will, will do well and succeed. And then looking at exports, as Tom said, you know, we were already speaking with, um, distributors in Nigeria off the back of the award. We're speaking with people in the US. There's a lot of opportunity there um, in Japan and Singapore as well that we're exploring. So, so it's a mixed bag, I think. It's it's you know winning 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 our home territory and then and looking at sort of the areas we can sort of test and place the products in um, where we see fit. Thank you. So, good. I just want to move on now to how delivering your your, your plan. So you're looking for a 250,000 um, target for a convertible round on, on Cedars. And I will mention that anybody that, that's looking for further details, do check out the notes to this podcast because you'll be able to find a link through to uh, the Ace and Freak page on, uh, on Cedars. But investors will be very interested to know uh, the specifics um, in terms of the allocations of funds and what you're going to be spending that money on to, to, to deliver your um, strategy. So would you be able to give us a bit of a breakdown on that? Yeah, sure. So we've created a product without compromise as an initial point because, you know, as the founders of Innocent say, you can sell one drink by its looks, you can sell a hundred by its taste. So what was really important from the get-go was to produce a product that sat right with us. And it sat right with us both in terms of the flavour in terms of the sustainability that we used, in terms of 
the uh, conscientiousness the, uh, with, with regards to the sourcing the ingredients, etc. So from that, what that meant was that we had a very, very clear roadmap on what scale we were able to obtain a profit margin to allow us to organically grow. And this is where this market's quite interesting because it's quite prohibitive to get into. I mean, the likes of hard seltzers are very easy. There's, you know, very quick and easy high margins to be made. Yet with regards to ready to drink cocktail, when you're using fresh fruit ingredients, you then need to obtain a scale. And this is what we've been doing for the past 18 months is preparing ourselves to that. So the key for us is to scale our production, which in turn reduces our cost of goods by 53%. So it's a huge amount. To support this growth, we're then bolstering this with a uh, new full-time designer. The reason for this is that you know content is king in this world of direct-to-consumer and with our customer base being predominantly millennials and future Gen Zs, this is really important to us and to create very, very high-value content, which is then applicable not just in the UK but also for our export markets. And then supporting with a full-time sales member who's going to be supporting our UK distributor um, and kind of being a face of our customers. And I think this is something, you know, you know I'm a, I, I own two bars myself. And, you know, especially when it comes to traders, it, it's still very much a people business. And you want to work with good people. So for us to be able to support our customers with this um, full-time sales bus is a very important part. But that's going to, that 250,000 will then get us to a place where we can start to grow organically. Uh, we we you know starting to get a lot of interest from some of the institutional investors, and I think for us now it's just it's about kind of just pushing our head above the water and beyond where our current competitors are to where we're to grow, and really to 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 start to capitalise on the market. Um, you know, when you look at the likes of craft beer, it's dominated by one company, and I'm probably not going to tell you what company that is, but they have the top. They have the biggest selling beer third best selling beer and fourth best selling beer and you know um when you look at the cocktail rtd market it's forecast to grow 20 percent compound annual growth rate for the next well up till 2020 you know we want to be at the front of this herd okay so, i mean sort of looking at you know further down the line in terms of where you see that the business going you, you touched on other companies uh, within within the industry, and um, you know, anybody that follows the industry will will know what their their story's been and and where they've uh, come from and, and where they are now. But I mean, wh- where do you see this going in terms of you know in, in a business perspective? You know, investors will be know- wanting to know. I mean, do you see this as a business um, that could uh, be uh, potentially sort of taken over, or, or do you see this sort yeah. of growing, as you say, organically um, and and sort of really having that branded sort of standalone and a standalone um, business. And, and who would you make comparisons to um, in terms of, you know, sort of large M&A deals that have been taking place recently? I mean, you know what, I think it's, it's, it's a very interesting market. I mean, you know, alcohol drinks have the highest um, exit multiples of, of, of any consumer good at 17.6. What's really interesting is when you look at the detail of that, I mean, Craft segmentation is really interesting because it's a very desirable area to move into and all of the larger brands want to move into that, you know, and as a result of that, you know, craft beer averages, uh, the 2020 average exit was 31.9 times a beat there. Um, you know, when we look at aspirational businesses, 
you know, we look at other F&B industries that have had craft segmentation that has caused rapid um, kind of cannibalization of market share within their, within their market, but also total market growth. Craft beer, uh, tonic water, uh, coffee, you know, craft beer, great example of that, Brewdog, you know, one of the first early adapters to craft beer, you know, they did very well. They didn't sell out early on. Um, I, I think they're worth about 1.3 billion now. Um, another great example of that is, is Fever Tree, you know, and both of these, you know, craft segmentations are very similar to what we're doing in, in, in the fact that you're taking a product that consumers are familiar with, you know, the ready to drink, uh, you know, a gin and tonic in a can, a Bacardi Breeze or Smyrna Vice, this has been around for, for a long time. They're, they're integrated into to, to people's lives. And it's a premiumization of that. It's, it's aligning to what the market data is saying, what the, you know, what the, the reports are saying is that, you know, want better quality and stuff like that. We are starting to see M&As in the category. Um, AB InBev, um, one of the world's largest brewers, is, is proactively pursuing this category, um, both in terms, they've, you know, they purchased a company called Cutwater Spirits in the US um, for an undisclosed sum, quite a substantial sum, it's believed. Um, which, we, which we beat in the, in the latest competition, which was a nice win. Sorry? I said, which we beat in the latest, uh, the best in class RTD cocktail, cut with the spirits. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We did. We did beat them. Um, so, so M&As are starting to occur within the industry. Um, you know, I had, I was on a call with the marketing director of, of one of the top four breweries recently. And in his opinion, he believed that the craft ready to drink market will be larger than the craft beer market. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, RTD market is forecast to grow faster than the total alcohol market for the next five years. I mean, it's currently growing three times faster. This explosive growth is going to just increase the appetite of the larger companies for, for, for M&As. But at the same time, it's, you know, I, th- I think for us, the thing that we're focusing on, yes, there are ample opportunities for exit. I think for us, it's, it's to really, really grow this business to a position where we can see the full potential of this market. And that's the really exciting thing because at the moment there's no there's no glass roof on this. This is not a stagnant market. This is this is growing rapidly. Yeah. And just uh, just just to add on top of that. Sorry. Uh, sorry, mate. Uh, so just to add on, yeah, I think so the, the you know, this this is a at the present recent report, you know, this is a twenty billion dollar market. So for anyone who's not really understanding or, or heard what RTDs are, it's huge, it's fast. And, and you know, that's cocktail RTDs, 20 that's billion cocktail exactly. And this is not RTDs as a whole. You know, this is yeah. cocktail RTDs. Yeah, so it's not the RTD teas, coffees, or anything else you can put into a, a ready-to-drink format, but it's specifically on cocktails. And that market is expected to grow, you know, co- uh, compounded annually 20% for the next 10 years. So this is what the reports are saying. And I think the other factors you've got to include, I think you look at developing, you, you spoke about exports, but if you look at developing countries and the, sort of burgeoning middle class looking for access to those premium products who may not have access or, or a skill set or equipment to produce you know the best products that meet and brands that are going to meet these consumer needs can you know will, will ride this wave and i think 
we're taking a position where we're very much, you know, this. We've we've tested the product. We you know we've, we've built a team. We've got got the knowledge internally to to help drive this. And I think we're we're looking at the best way to meet the needs of our target consumers, which are you know predominantly the millennials and Gen Z um, population. Um, so looking at how we can serve those people best, and also you know grow on this on this wave of growth um, to a point where yes, they're you know. We're not looking at exit now, but the the, the exits, the kind of exits that craft breweries and, and beverage companies are, are seeing are, are, are mega um, and sort of top end of of industry expectations. So, so yeah, it's it's an exciting time, a very exciting market. We've got a very you know award winning product. We're very very proud of, um, and we're in a position to sort of yeah begin to ride that wave. And sky's the limit. So just to finish off now, investors will be keen to to know the key milestones um, that you'll be setting yourself to attack. As you mentioned there, the 20 billion market in the in the cocktail RTDs. I mean, what, what have you set yourself as, as key targets over the next five years and, and milestones? Sure. So, go on, Tom. Do you want to go, Chris? Yeah, I mean, initially, one, one big target, I think, in... Is is you know hitting hitting a million sales? I think getting that many cans in hands is is something where we sort of we we intend to reach. And I think once that you know you kind of hit those volume of sales, that's you're on your way. So so that's an initial milestone. Um, and in terms of market share within the UK, we are going to look to obtain about one percent of the RTD market between years three to four. You know, it's currently it was 2018, it was 146 million, um, you know, so there's, there's ample room to grow. And I think for us within the craft segmentation, you know, we're, we're aiming at that 1%. And I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how the market evolves. Um, another key thing for us is by year three, we want to be credited as a B Corp. Um, you know, this is a very ethical business and, you know, we are very passionate, you know, since we started, we've cut our carbon footprint as a business by a third and we'll continue to do so and by when we scale production we're able to reduce it even further so you know we are you know in terms of our goals we're really focusing on all three p's um because i think you know creating that ecosystem of positive impact with the people that we're working with with the planet and and profit you know the, the people and the planet you know, you get that right. I believe that it really, really leads into that profit segment. Um, you know, but as I said, one percent of market share by 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 year three to four, and uh, B Corp by year three is really key to us. And we're really excited to see how this corporate segmentation grows because, you know, as we've all seen, I think you know you can you just need to go into your lo- local supermarket the change on the shelf within the last 12 months and from having very little presence to now having full shelves of hard seltzers and, you know, mixed drinks in cans, that's really where it's quite exciting. But as I said, 1% through four and, uh, and be caught by year three. Fantastic. That's, that's great. Um, Tom and Chris, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. No worries. So, as a reminder, there in, in the podcast, 
note, there will be a link through to the Cedars page, which has further details on the Ace and Freak crowdfunding campaign. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.